The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. In my own church, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. Around six months ago or so, we took a pause and we looked here at Acts chapter 2, a very encouraging portion of God's Word with regards to being a biblical church, the type of church that God has ordained us to be in His Holy Word. I love preaching the message, and I guess my people enjoyed it. They came back the next week, so they reacted well to it. So I pray that it's an encouragement to you, the Brian Baptist Church family. Let's go ahead and stand as we read the Word of God together. We'll begin in verse 40 of Acts 2. Peter is preaching here on the day of Pentecost. He's preaching open air, and many have been converted. Verse 40, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them, that is the church at Jerusalem, about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and in breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before your throne this morning in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we realize we have no righteousness of our own. We come clothed in the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that through your word and by your spirit, you would build up your church, that it would be a healthy church body, that it would grow in grace, in love for you, in love for your word, in love for prayer and communion with you, that they would grow in love one for another, and grow in love and compassion for the lost who need to hear the gospel. which is the power of God unto salvation. Father, bless your word as it is preached this morning to the life of every individual here. We ask and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The word church comes from the Greek word, of course, ekklesia, which was a very common word in the New Testament time. In fact, when Jesus first uses it in Mark, in Matthew chapter 16, when he says, I will build my church, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus used the word church, he didn't have to give a lot of explanation because it was very commonly understood what the word church meant. The word denoted an assembly. Used among the city-states, among the Greeks, it was a word that denoted an assembly of citizens that were called out of their homes to gather together to carry on business. It wasn't just a mob, but an organized assembly. The New Testament church is properly not a building or a religious organization in a denominational sense, nor is it something that is invisible since it is gathered, it is very much visible. It is a God-ordained institution for this economy that finds this expression in local assemblies of baptized believers who are gathered together in order to obey the commands of Christ as laid out in the Word of God. A biblical church is bound together by the Word of God to proclaim the gospel to the lost and to edify and build up the believers who make up the body there. Christ's church is simply an assembly of baptized believers who are organized to carry out the Lord's commandments. Now, God's family certainly is universal. You can travel to places in Africa. Those who have believed the gospel, you can call them brother. They'll call you brother. And there's an immediate fellowship because we are part of God's family. But the church is a particular local, visible congregation of baptized believers. The Bible emphasizes that the church is God's appointed means to accomplish his purpose during this age. God has ordained the church to carry out the Great Commission. Jesus first used that word in Matthew chapter 16. The church is Christ's program. It is called in 1 Timothy the pillar and ground of the truth. And in that context of 1 Timothy, it has leaders made up of elders and deacons. Pastors are referred to as elders for their spiritual maturity. They're called pastors because that's the word for shepherd. That means their job is to feed the flock of God. And they're referred to as bishops or overseers because they oversee the ministries of the church. So a bishop, elder, and pastor all refer to the same man. And the other office is that of deacons, of servants. The job of the deacon is to serve the Lord under the direction of pastors and serve the people of God. And in the book of Acts, we see the early church filled with the Spirit of God doing the work of God. It was a church that was committed to holiness, committed to obedience to the Word of God, committed to worshiping God. It was a church that was not accepted by the world, but hated by the world, and persecuted for preaching a narrow-minded gospel in which God saves sinners solely through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the church that was growing as God added to the church. It was a church that enjoyed the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. If we can summarize our section this morning, the main idea is this. The gospel creates the church made up of baptized believers who gather together to worship and obey the Lord. The context here, of course, is Peter on the day of Pentecost... The church is made up of 120 baptized members. The Spirit of God descends to empower and credential the then-existing church in the city of Jerusalem. God has done this before throughout church history, or throughout the Bible. When the temple or the tabernacle was, was made there in the wilderness, according to God's word, 
after the tabernacle was completed to show that God, this was God's way of worshiping him, the Spirit of God descended on the tabernacle, credentialing it as the place where God's people were to worship him. The same thing happened in the temple when the temple was built by Solomon and it was completed. The Spirit of God once again descended there in the temple showing this is God's institution. This is the way God's people are to worship him. But it's no longer a physical temple. The Spirit now descends upon the church showing that this is God's new temple. That's why in 1 Timothy 3, the church is called the house of God, the pillar and ground of the truth. God credentials the local church, empowers it to do the Great Commission. And here in Acts 2, Peter preaches the gospel, and he's doing this not in a church setting, but open air. He declares the person of Christ, how that Jesus came and lived a sinless and perfect life. He did signs and wonders, and according to the predeterminate counsel and foreknowledge of God, he was slain, he was killed. He died according to the word of God for sinners. He rose again the third day. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. So the main point of Peter's message is Christ and him crucified, risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of the Father. This is the one that he calls upon the people of Israel there in Jerusalem to repent of their sins and to believe savingly on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did this to a hostile crowd, that is, the, this same crowd, days earlier, they were crying for the crucifixion of Christ. Crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and our children. Peter, who was earlier hiding, denying Jesus, is now emboldened by the Holy Spirit. And he preaches the word, and thousands are converted. Verse 41, Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, And the same day there were added unto about 3,000 souls. He preaches the word of God, and those that gladly receive the word, that is, they hear the word of God preached, they're convicted of their sin, they believe savingly on the Lord Jesus Christ, they are then baptized, added to the church, and then they continue steadfastly. That is, because they were saved, truly saved, They were then added to the church, and then they persevere, they continue in the faith. Despite the hate, the ridicule, despite governmental persecution, they endured and persevered by the grace of God. And that is true of all genuine believers. Those who come to genuine faith that God saves, they continue in the faith. Jesus said in John eight thirty one, Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. So a New Testament church is a regenerate church. It has regenerate church membership, meaning it is made up of those who have come to genuine faith in Christ. And through the ordinance of baptism, through that door, they've entered the membership of the church. Membership and church service in the church, the serving of God in the church is for believers. Those who have believed, those who have been baptized, those who have joined part of that fellowship. Certainly, those who have not come to faith in Christ are welcome to church services, to listen to the gospel, to come under the influence of the gospel and to be saved. But the work of the church is to be done by church members. 
those who have already embraced Christ in true faith. Now, what are the marks of a healthy church body? We're going to note this morning seven marks of a healthy church body, the body of Christ, the local congregation. We'll try to go through them quickly, but not too quickly. First of all, as a church body, we need to be, number one, devoted to the Word. We need to be devoted to the Word of God. Churches are involved in all kinds of things today, everywhere from political action to public demonstrations and all kinds of stuff that God did not call the church to. The church, first of all, is to be devoted to the Word of God. Look at verse 42. And they, the church at Jerusalem, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Let's pause here. The word doctrine means teaching. The twelve, that is the apostles, are regularly teaching the word of God to the people of God. The apostles' ministry of preaching and teaching is mentioned more than any other activity in the book of Acts. It can be argued that Acts is primarily a record of apostolic preaching and teaching of the Word of God. We don't have apostles today, but we do have apostolic writings in the New Testament. And so therefore, we hear the words of the apostles and the inscripturated, inspired Word of God when it is read and taught to the people of God. And so God has given the church shepherds, pastor teachers, who are responsible to feed the flock of God. Throughout the book of Acts, we see this apostles being dedicated to the teaching of the word. We see it in Acts chapter 3. After Peter and John, the miracles performed on that man who was lame, who was at the gate called Beautiful. He doesn't just... Do the miracle and then stop. No, after the miracle takes place, he immediately launches into a sermon preaching the word of God. It happens in public gatherings in Acts 4. It even happens before the Sanhedrin, before governmental officials. They drag the apostles and what do they do? They preach the word of God to the government officials. In Acts 5, they preach the word of God house to house. In fact, when they bring the apostles and they threaten them not to preach in the name of Christ anymore, when the government tells them, don't do that anymore, don't preach anymore, they respond in Acts 4.20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, we can't shut up. We have to preach the word of God. In Acts chapter 6, the church is growing so large, the twelve apostles can't minister to all the physical needs of the church. And so that's when we first hear of the office of deacon, these men raised up to help the pastors. The apostles declared in Acts 6.2, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We're going to dedicate ourselves to prayer and the word of God. So throughout the scriptures, the church is dedicated to the teaching of the word of God. God designed the church to be a place where his word is proclaimed and explained. When you look at the pastoral epistles, I think of Paul before he's going to be executed. He's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy. 
He's locked up in the Mamertine prison in Rome. The next time he sees daylight, he will lay down his head on a, on a block of wood and he will be beheaded for his faith in Christ. And what does he tell Timothy? Timothy, get out of the city, man. It's turn, it's, the, the government's wicked. You need to leave. That's not what he tells him. He tells him you need to preach the word. Be in season, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. He didn't say give up. He didn't say run. He says preach the word. The, the church was dedicated to the preaching of the word. They were devoted to the word of God. Peter tells the church in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're to be as newborn babes desiring the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. We're to desire literally the unalloyed, the uncontaminated word of God. Why? Is because through the word, God's people grow. As babies, babies, when they come out, they don't take a class in milkology. But because they're alive and they're healthy, they immediately want milk. And as they drink that milk, it gives them the nourishment to grow. And a healthy church must be devoted to the pure word of God to be preached. The job of the pastor is not to give up, to, to, to talk about the latest fads, the, the latest sitcoms. No, he's to preach the word of God. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, exhortation, and doctrine. Make sure, and, it's, and, and, and as you gather with believers, make sure you're reading the word. Make sure you're giving them doctrine, you're teaching the word. And thirdly, you're exhorting them to obey the Word of God. Scripture is the food for believers' growth. Jesus said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Hosea the prophet said in Hosea 4.6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that knowledge is not of calculus. It's not algebra. It is a lack of knowledge of the Word of God. And that's not a lack of knowledge of Bitcoin, but of the Bible. The people of God are to know the truth of the Word of God. The church cannot operate on truth that it doesn't know. It cannot function on biblical principles that it has not learned. In verse 43, Luke mentions that the apostles are inspiring signs and wonders. The signs weren't done merely to display their power, but they were to validate the teaching of the apostles. In other words, the miracles served the purpose of, of, of the apostles validating their teaching of the word of God to the people of God. Today we live in a new day of where church services become more like a nightclub. People are more interested in entertainment than biblical exposition. They rather have a performance than biblical preaching. They're more interested in drama than doctrine. A biblical church should have the preaching of the word, listen now, and should appreciate the preaching of the word. This church, Berean Baptist Church, has been blessed with a pastor, Pastor Smith, who week after week after week feeds the people the word of God. Don't assume that that is normal wherever you go. Don't assume that if you go to a state run by Republicans, there's going to be biblical preaching everywhere. That's not necessarily true. In fact, 
I just got a call from someone in Oklahoma. And they told me, boy, sinners are pretty much the same everywhere. <laughs> and it said, and, the, and, and, and faithful biblical churches that will preach the whole counsel of God, that will preach the Bible verse by verse, and exalt our sovereign God, are rare. And, and this person called me out of nowhere. I haven't spoken to him in many, many years. He used to be a member of this church. It was Brother Hans that called me. And I talked to him. I haven't, met, I haven't talked to him in quite a while. And we spoke about, about the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God. Now listen, a church body, as a church body, we need to be devoted to the Word. And thank God for the gift of a pastor, like Pastor Smith, that preaches the Word of God to the people of God. Secondly, as a church body, we need to be devoted to each member. Devoted to each member, verse 42. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Fellowship. Verse 44. And all that believed were together. As these new believers grew in the truth of the scripture, as they grew in their love for God and his word, they also grew in their love one for another. The two activities, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, go hand in hand. This suggests that the apostles' biblical preaching impacted the fellowship that God's people had with one another. The word fellowship means communion or close relationship. It denotes a unity that is brought about because we have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us, we believe the same gospel, and we have the same Bible, and therefore, as brothers and sisters in Christ in the local assembly, we fellowship with one another and love one another, and we're devoted to each other as church members. There were brothers and sisters in God's eternal family. Listen, Christianity is personal, but it's not, it's not just about the individual. In fact, it's corporate. Jesus is saving a people unto himself, not just individual persons, but a people to himself. You see that in, throughout the New Testament, where church members are to be devoted to one another, and, and that phrase, one another, one another, is found throughout the New Testament. And it's written in the context to churches. Let me give you an example. To the church in Rome, in Romans 12.10, Paul writes, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. In Romans 15.14, you're also full of goodness, full of all knowledge, able to admonish one another. The word admonish has the idea of correcting or counseling one another with the word of God. In Ephesians 4, Paul is writing to the church in the city of Ephesus. And he says in Ephesians 4.25, Put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for ye are members one of another. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. That being kind to each other, loving one another, forgiving one another, all of that takes place within the context of the local church where members are devoted one to another. 
The Bible does not envision the Christian life as one lived apart from other believers. Hey, there, the Lone Ranger exists on TV, but not in the Bible. No Christian's a Lone Ranger. He's a live out the Christian life in the context of a biblical church. All Christians in the New Testament were actively and intimately involved in local assemblies. In his classic book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, and this was a man who was killed by the Nazis during World War II, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in a community with Christian brothers and sisters. May we never forget that. That it is a, a privilege, it is the blessing of God that God's people can gather in a local church to pray one for another, to encourage one another, to worship God together, and to hear the preaching of the Word of God. And as we do that, we do that in devotion to God and to one another. Thirdly, we see here, as a church body, we are to, number three, be devoted to the breaking of bread. Verse 42. And as they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread. Now, the early church did have the Lord's Supper, and they also had agape meals or meals where they would gather together and eat as a family. Those that having church potlucks that that should be one of the Baptist distinctives, but it's not. But but it should be because that's really we we love to eat. Right After I finish eating, uh, this afternoon I will be officially a full gospel preacher. <laughs> but the breaking of bread here is more than just eating together. I believe it is the partaking of the Lord's Supper. You see, God wants us to hear the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I have determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Everything was about Jesus. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Christ is at the center. He is the head and at the center of church life. Listen now. But we're to hear the truth of the gospel in preaching. But in the Lord's Supper, we see the gospel. We see it illustrated. We're to partake of that unleavened bread. And we realize the sinless humanity of Christ who gave himself for us. In the fruit of the vine, that's what it's called in Matthew's gospel, fruit of the vine. So if you go to the vine, you squeeze grapes, you don't get tequila. Right? You get grape juice. In that pure juice, we're reminded of the precious blood of Christ who was slain as a lamb without spot or wrinkle. We are reminded that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We are reminded of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. So in the Lord's Supper, when we gather, we not only hear the gospel preached, but we see the gospel as we partake of this ordinance. And this ordinance, by the way, of the Lord's Supper, it is not just a Christian ordinance. That's not enough. It is a church ordinance. It is given to the church. It's not for an individual Christian to partake of the Lord's Supper with a television preacher on TV. No, it's not about an individual. It's about the church body. It's when the church gathers together, they partake of the Lord's Supper. You see that language in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when ye gather together. 
When ye gather together. When ye gather together. That's a technical term for the assembly, the church. The Lord's Supper was given to church for they could not only hear the gospel, but see the gospel. And so, here is the local church. Here is a biblical church, a healthy church in Acts 2. And they are regularly partaking of this church ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And in that, they are reminded, herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent forth His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We're reminded of the price that Jesus paid to redeem His people. And the church was dedicated to that. They were devoted to breaking bread to the Lord's ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Fourthly, as a church body, we need to be devoted to prayer. Devoted to prayer. Look at verse 42. And they, the church at Jerusalem, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now this is very important here. Prayer, as someone said, is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. The early church here gathers together and they pray. They believe the promise that Jesus gave to his people in John 14, 13. When Jesus says that whatsoever he shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. The church believed that God answers prayer. Therefore, they prayed. And by the way, when it says they prayed, it's not referring to what they did at home before a meal. It's not referring to their individual prayer lives throughout the week. The prayer here describes the church praying together. The church gathered together as a local assembly being devoted to prayer, realizing that the church can only go forward on its knees before God. Sadly, prayer is much neglected in churches today. H.A. Ironside said, prayer is an expression of dependence. And when the people of God really feel their need, you will find them flocking together to pray. A neglected prayer meeting indicates very little recognition of one's true need. Look at one example of a church prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4 with me. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Peter is threatened by the government there in Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin. So he gathers with other believers to to come up with a plan to leave to another city. No, that's not what he does. That's not what he does. They gather together and they pray. It says in verse 24 of Acts 4, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord in unity and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Let me stop here. They began recognizing the character of God. They pray because God is sovereign. Not because God is trying, God's in control. And because they believe that, they pray. So to say you believe in the sovereignty of God and you don't pray is a contradiction in terms. Because God's in control, the church should pray. 
Verse 25, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For the truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now, this is amazing. They're suffering persecution, and they're not praying for relief. They're persecuted by the government, and they're not praying for the Republicans to take over. They're praying for boldness. Help us not to cower down. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would speak the word of God with boldness and souls will be saved. That is the priority of the church. Not personal comfort, but the Great Commission. Watch the answer here. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. Wow. If persecution comes, listen, I don't like pain. I don't even like going to the dentist. I'm scared. And here's persecution arising from governmental officials. And the church gathers not to pray for an easy life. Not to pray for health and wealth and prosperity. But to pray for Holy Spirit boldness. As the heathen rage, as the nations rebel against the king, we know, Psalm 2, that the king's son is coming to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Until that day, oh God, embolden us. Give us courage to preach the gospel even though there is a hostile government. This is the early church. The early church was devoted, listen now, to biblical prayer. Yes, we're to bring all requests to God. There's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Yes, pray for little Johnny's ankle that he bent playing basketball. Okay. Yes, pray for Aunt Jill's toe. That's, there's no problem with that. But make sure we pay, pray for God's priorities. And it is God's will that the gospel go out to the nations even when there's governmental hostility. And the church prayed for that. And God answered. God answered emboldened them, and the church continues to grow in spite of a hostile society and government. May God grant that to us, that the church will be emboldened to pray, that God would give us courage, fill us with his spirit to do his work, his way, for his glory. As a church body, we need to be, number five, radically generous. We see that in verse 45. Verse 45 says of the church and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. This is extraordinary sharing, extraordinary mercy ministry. The early church is ministering to the needs of those in the congregation who are lacking. Paul would write later on in Galatians 6.10 to the churches of Galatia. As we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are of the household of faith. 
want to do good to all people, but especially those brothers and sisters in our congregation. Now, this passage, as well as in Acts 4, has been twisted by some to say that it supports communism. But that's totally inaccurate. Sorry if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter. Actually, not that sorry, but... The church never abandoned the idea of owning private property. In fact, it's assumed in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not steal assumes you own stuff, including land. The idea that everything belongs to the government and the government's going to make everything equal is a communistic, humanistic lie. God assumes you're going to own things. It's not a sin to own things, to own land, to own, to own stuff. But more important than that, God's people and God's church were radically committed to being generous and giving, especially for the needs of other church members. The Bible doesn't teach communism, but it does teach radical generosity. In other words, these people didn't go to church simply to get. They also came to church to give, to love others. They were not just consumers, they were contributors. They didn't just want to come and watch, but to work in the ministry. They didn't come just to sit, but also came to serve. Not just to listen, but also to labor for the Lord. As a church body, we need to be committed to be radically generous. No, no, it's not a a give-to-get scheme. Oh, if you give $1,000, God's going to give you $10,000. Really, television preacher? They give me $10,000 for you to have $100,000. But they won't do that. No, no, listen, you don't give to get You give because you love the Lord. You give generously because God has given his son for you. You give because you love the Lord. You want to be a wise steward, a manager of all that God has entrusted to you. As a church body, we need to be not only radically generous. Number six, as a church body, we need to be, we need to gather to worship and interact with one another. In verse 46, it says, And they, the church at Jerusalem, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. One accord, that is, they're in unity. They're sharing life with each other every day. They were involved in one another's lives. The church has certainly a love to those who are outside. They need to hear the gospel, but there's also a unique love that God has, God's people have for one another in the church. A healthy church meets together just as a family meets together. This is why when persecution arose, listen now, persecution arose, and the writer of Hebrews is writing to Hebrew Christians. Some of them are not genuinely converted. There are others that are converted. And they're thinking, hey, following Christ is costing me a lot. I'm losing my job. All these things are happening. I think I'm going to leave the truths of the gospel and go back to Old Testament Judaism. And the writer of Hebrews writes to encourage them. During times of persecution, during times when there's hostile governments, you need to be more faithful to the local assembly. It's in that context, in Hebrews 10, that context, the writer says in Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see that day approaching. 
as persecution increases, as society becomes more hostile, God's people ought to be more faithful and gathering as a church body. Listen, half if not more of the job of a good church, church member is very simple. Just show up to church. <laughs> That's not calculus or brain surgery. Right? This is not nuclear physics. Just show up. What would your mom think if she prepared a delicious meal and invited you to come over and instead you went fishing? You say, well, I, I think she would be upset. I think she would probably throw her sandal at me, her chunkla at me. You don't do that to mama. And yet the pastor of this church, I know for a fact, prepares good, biblical, sound, needy messages for the people of God. So when he comes to deliver, to feed the sheep, the sheep shouldn't be in the lake, in the mountains, or in the park. They should be in the church. This is basic, this is basic doctrine 101. We're not talking about what your theory is of being a, are you a super lapsarian, sub-lapsarian? You might even know... You, I'm not even asking, are you a lab girl retriever? No, none of those questions. The issue is very basic, basic doctrine, 101, church 101, ecclesiology 101. When the shepherd prepares to feed the sheep, the, the, the sheep need to be there. The humorous story is told of an incident on a Sunday morning. A mother went to wake up her son for church. He replied, I'm not going today. Mama replied, why not? He says, I'll give you two reasons. One, those people don't like me. Two, I don't like them either. <laughs> Mama said quickly, I'll give you two reasons why you should go to church. Number one, you're 44 years old. Number two, you're the pastor. <laughs> Agent Rogers said, some people go to church three times in their lives. When they're born, when they're married, and when they die. Hatched, matched, and dispatched. The first time they throw water, the second time rice, and the third time some dirt. Oh, listen, they continue with one accord in unity. They even broke bread house to house, whether it was in a large setting in the temple where the thousands would gather for the public preaching of the word of God, or they're gathering smaller groups in people's homes. The people gathered. And they, they interacted with each other, and they worshiped God. Verse 47, it says that they were praising God. The old mountain evangelist, Vance Haver, used to say, it is about time we quit playing church in these services that start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. <laughs> to praise God means we gather together, not to sing praises about ourselves. No, we, we don't speak about how great we are, but it's how great thou art. It's about the Lord 
It's about proclaiming his greatness, his attributes, his work in the gospel for his people. So the people got to gather to worship the Lord. I want you to understand the context of what is happening here. The church of Jerusalem went from 120 to over 3,000. Peter got up to preach the gospel. 3,000 are converted. They're baptized and added to the membership. The church membership, a vast majority of it, at least 3,000, do not live or work in Jerusalem. But they moved from hundreds of miles away to be part of the church of Jerusalem. How do you know that? By Acts 6, some of them are lacking food. Why? Because they have left their homes. The day of Pentecost, you would have Jews from around the Roman world that would come to celebrate there in the temple. So they came as Jews from hundreds of miles away. They left their jobs on a temporal basis to worship in Jerusalem, and then they're converted. And they don't go home. They stay. They literally move their families to be part of a biblical church. It's amazing. That's how dedicated they are. They say, this is rare. When we hear the gospel where there are people feeding us the word of God and we're doing the work of God. So they don't go home. And then when persecution arises, you know what they say? I'm out of here. No, that's not what they do. They stay. And they continue to grow. Here is the church gathering to worship, even though it costs them. What did it cost them? Jobs? Homes? They left it in order to be part of the gathered church there in Jerusalem. Number seven. As a church body, we need to be, number seven, evangelistic. Evangelistic. Look at verse 47 with me. And praising God and having favor with all the people... And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. As the gospel is going out, God is saving sinners. It doesn't say sinners are being saved because Peter was trained on how to be a good salesman. And based on his salesmanship skills, his people skills, he knows personality dynamics, he knows how to make decisions from people. No, my friend, he's not out there bending arms. He's out there preaching the gospel. And it is the gospel which is the means of God saving sinners. And through the gospel, God, who alone saves sinners, is adding to the church. When Paul's converted, and he's doing the work of a missionary going city to city and preaching, I think of the time in Acts chapter 18 when he went to the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was an evil place. It was sort of like a Las Vegas. In fact, the word to Corinthianize meant to be with temple prostitutes. It was an evil, an evil city, a wicked city, full of wicked morals. And Paul goes there. He doesn't avoid it. He goes there because there's people. And where there's people, it is God's will that the gospel go forward. So he goes there. He preaches. Some people are converted. But then, as usually is the case with Paul, people are either saved or they want to kill him. There's no in between. And so people are allowing to to attack him. 
And like us, we don't like pain. Who wants to get beat up? He's thinking of leaving. The Lord Jesus comes to him in a night vision and tells him, Be not afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace. Paul, don't stop. Don't hold your peace. Don't shut up. Preach the gospel. And then Jesus says to him, For I am with thee, and no man shall sit on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in the city. What was he telling? There may be only a few people saved, but you keep on preaching, and I guarantee, I guarantee souls are going to be saved. Who are those that are God's people? Those are God's elect. Those are those that God has chosen before the foundation of the world. And so, that truth that God is sovereign in in salvation didn't make Paul lazy. It emboldened him. He went forward preaching the gospel knowing that God was going to save sinners. He didn't cross his fingers. He didn't knock on wood, whatever that means. He didn't do anything. He just knew, based on the word of God, God is going to save many sinners in this city. The truth of God's sovereignty emboldened his evangelism. This is what it should do for the church. The more we understand the deep things of God, the sovereign election of God, it should not make us lazy but fervent in evangelism. To understand the sovereignty of God and not to evangelize is not to understand the doctrine correctly. The church believed that God was in control, and therefore they would not quit. Adrian Rogers once said, A church will either evangelize or it will fossilize, but it will not stand still. So let us ask a few concluding questions. Questions. Let us check our vital signs. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, after all, was a physician. Vital sign number one, as we end here, this question. Vital sign number one, are you filling up with biblical nourishment? The early church was dedicated to the preaching of the word of God. Can other believers in the church say, yes, that's true. That brother is dedicated to the preaching of the word of God. If the church doors are open, man, he's there with an open Bible and a notebook. He's ready to go. Those who are, know, they know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Those who really know that, they will treasure the word of God. They will come eagerly for when the under-shepherd comes and he preaches God's word, you're willing to receive God's truth. Are other brothers admonishing you to be fervent and to be nourished in God's word? The early church clearly loved the word of Christ and the Christ of the word. Vital sign number two. Are you seeking to have loving fellowship with others? So many times people say, well, no one's being friendly to me. Well, are you being friendly to others? No one's inviting me. Are you inviting others? Everybody has a responsibility in the local body to express love one towards another. So the question is, are you seeking to have loving fellowship with others? Or are you a ninja Christian? The ninja Christian comes in after the church service has started. He sneaks in. Before church service is over, he's gone. Was he here? I don't know. Was he here? Was that a mirage? Was he here? We don't know. He's the ninja Christian. No, we should know you're here. And when the church doors are open, you're there. You're devoted to God's word. 
You just don't talk a good game in theology, it affects your life. Vital sign number three. Are you involved in vibrant worship? In vibrant worship. What does that mean? It means when we sing praises to our God, you sing with all your heart. You say, but man, I can't sing well. So what? Just sing with all your heart because God is worthy. Or people that are committed to the Lord's table. We're committed with praying with other brothers, sisters in Christ. Is that true of you this morning? Vital sign number four. And lastly, are you reaching out to the lost? I think of Philip and Andrew. Philip has these, you could say, the direct approach to evangelism. Right? In Acts 8, the Ethiopian eunuch has come. He's a powerful man of the Ethiopian government. He's traveled hundreds of miles to worship God according to the word of God in the temple. He purchases the scroll of Isaiah. He's with probably hundreds of his men going back to Ethiopia. He's reading the the book of Isaiah, and he happens to be in Isaiah chapter 53. God tells Philip to go preach to him. And as the chariot is going, Philip runs after him. Do you understand what you're reading? And he looks. Huh. How can I? Except someone guide me. I'll guide you! (laughs) They stop. He jumps in there. And from the same scripture, the Bible says he preaches unto him Jesus. It is there. Using the Old Testament, he points the man to Christ. That's, that's direct evangelism. That's biblical evangelism. But, ah, but there's also Andrew evangelism. How did Andrew do it in John 1? We found the Messiah. No, I don't think so. Just come. Just come. Can't explain it all to you, but come. Everyone can invite someone to come and hear the gospel at church. Everyone can do Andrew evangelism, inviting others to come to hear the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a healthy body, the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the truth of your word. Lord, help us by your spirit that we would respond rightly to the truth of Holy Scripture. It will be said of Brigham Baptist Church, they are people devoted to the word that they are a church devoted to prayer, they are a church devoted to fellowship, a church devoted to evangelism, devoted to loving one another, devoted to generous giving because you are worthy. Father, use your word and the power of your Holy Spirit to transform the members of Brian Baptist Church more into the image of Christ, and that the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be honored and glorified in this body of believers. Bless your word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.